0: Great music. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Friends. Uh, thank you. I, I feel great now. I feel awesome. Thanks. Hey, look, let's play a little game. You tell me what I'm talking about. I'm going to just use a few word pictures. Can I? Eternal Lake of Fire. To hold on. Oh, you're quick. Okay. Yeah. I didn't even get through this whole list here. Eternal Lake of Fire. Eternal torment. Where bad people go. Hey! Oh, yeah, that's, that was quick. <laughs> hell, hell was the right answer. All right, you jerks out there making trouble. You know, the word hell has been connected to, uh, well, a lot of stories throughout human history. If you go back, way back, you know, some of the stories were connected to the culture at one time. Some were connected to people's conceptions of, you know, a a spiritual power out there, God, the more than. Some, Some, for some, hell was kind of their way of trying to make sense of the world. Especially when it seemed people were getting away with stuff in this life. You know where I'm going with that. But I think... If you were to look carefully, one thing is clear, that the picture that our earliest spiritual ancestors had of this thing that we call hell, and the picture that we now conceive of, when I use some of those statements, are two different things. Now, that's going to come, perhaps, as surprising to some. Our earliest ancestors didn't fear hell like many would today or many who were raised in a tradition talking about hell. Our earliest ancestors wouldn't have pictured this place where people who piss off God get sent. They wouldn't have imagined Hell as being a place where you go if you happen to have the wrong sexual orientation or if you engage in some bad behaviors that you later regret. They had a different picture of this thing. In fact, our picture that's common, this burning lake of fire, this place where bad people go, Did you know that that's kind of a recent invention? That this is a newer story than the story our earliest spiritual ancestors held? I know there's some people that are listening to this going, hey, wait a second, wait, 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 wait. Are you suggesting that when we die, if we did some bad things, that we're not necessarily going to this burning lake of fire? Are you, are you suggesting that the whole point of the spiritual journey isn't trying to avoid hell? What if I was? What if I was suggesting that perhaps this idea isn't even all that biblical? What would happen to your own spiritual journey? Starting January 8th, we're going to do a series called "Fearmongering," mongering and we're going to talk about the complex history that hell has had in our human story. And probably most importantly, we're going to talk about how to conceive of the spiritual journey without perhaps some of the baggage that that story has created for many. We're very excited about this series. If you were raised in a tradition where hell was hung over you, as kind of this battering ram or as this threat down deep to hold you in some kind of pattern or behavior, I think you're going to want to hear what we have to say. Because coming out of this, I think there are going to be some people that are going to be able to reimagine the spiritual journey being about something completely different, with a completely motivation, different motivation. I think you're going to enjoy it. J-
1: January 8th, invite some friends and plan to join us. No, that's thank right. Thank you very much. Good morning, everyone. Everyone's got their calendars out. I've got the most important announcement. The bar opens at 4.30 on December 24th here for the Christmas service, so make sure that sits in your calendars. Yeah, we're having a, a Kind of our normal Christmas service, normal for Friends Church at least. We're gonna have a bar. You're welcome to come in, grab a drink. Service starts at five o'clock, and that's our Christmas Eve. And then you get Christmas Day off. That should be a hey, man, people. I was raised Catholic, and this was the worst time because you know, if Christmas Eve fell, in, we still had to go to church on Sunday. I'm like, this is what kind of ripoff is this, right? And then it gets even better. You know what? December 31st is kind of the Saturday before, so you also get January 1st off. Holy smokes. Like, this is a two-for-one. That's the best announcement ever, I think. And Bar opens at 4.30 on the 24th. Yeah, we got two Sundays off. And I hope you use it to have some time with your family and really enjoy things. I want to start maybe a little bit in reverse. If you look at the donation button or if you're looking at uh, putting some dollars into the back box, you'll notice we're asking about the staff offering. The staff Christmas bonus is what we're calling it. Jeff, Vince... Ashley down and Kids, Ryan over in Switch, a better bookkeeper. This is our time of year where we say thank you. Especially for series like Hell coming up. Like, who's not excited about that, right? We should really thank them for that. If you've been following this series, though, I think there's a really good motivation. Like, when we're talking about the stick to at Christmas, or stick it to Christmas, depending on how you want to do this. I've learned so much, and just in this series, and I'm like, yeah, it is a good opportunity for us to get back and really show the team, if there's extra dollars, that we're really thankful for them. We appreciate all of your donations, you've, keep, you've kept us running. It's been a really good year, and that's something to be thankful for as well. So I, I'm hoping you're enjoying the series, I'm hoping you're having a great day, and as Alessandra said, still take a moment to just sort of just settle down. We don't have that much time left this morning and then life's going to get busy because it's definitely the Christmas season for sure. Functions are going. So just really settle in for the message. Looking forward to it. Do you need the mic? No, I think we got things figured out here. Hey, um,
0: I'll let them just kind of tweak this thing. So just bear with us as we get this other mic set up. I'm just going to grab my chair here. Um, Hey, let me tell you about a woman. I'll. I'll call Megan. Can I do that? I never know what names to use fictitiously, but I'll I'll use I like Megan. That's all right. She was struggling with her money. She just being disciplined. She'd uh, kind of had a history of being a little reckless, getting, you know, credit cards getting away on her. She'd racked up some dangerous levels of credit card debt. But over the last couple months in this period of her life, she had really turned things around. She'd taken some big steps. She'd gone to see a financial counselor. The counselor had kind of given her some real wisdom. She shut down all her online spending. She quit going out for lunch every day. She was really tracking how much money she was spending on a a real consistent basis. She was doing so well. And then one night, her and her boyfriend got into a fight. And it was a, it was a big one. They, they were talking about breaking up. And this kind of blindsided her. It came to that, and it escalated. She went back to her apartment, and she was busted up. Just a mess. She, uh, she went online and just started surfing just with her phone and then found herself on some shopping site I not have any bad timing because there's a lot of sales online and she was like oh my god look at this she loaded up that cart that night and hit purchase in the moment it felt good in the moment, it was just something to just ease the pain of everything going on. But the next morning, she wasn't even thinking about a boyfriend. She was thinking about the money she spent. She said she had a 52-day winning streak financially that she snapped the night before. She said, I had been doing so good. I had been so disciplined. I was watching everything carefully, and I was getting traction. I was feeling so good. And then in one fell swoop, she was just disgusted with herself. (sighs) She goes to work. And her friends that she's working alongside, they can tell she's bummed out. They said, let's let's go out for a bite to eat for lunch. She had brought a lunch. But she said, screw it. I'm going for lunch. I don't care if it costs money. I'm doing it. She said it was like she made that decision and then They're all saying, hey, let's go out Friday. And she knew in her budget she wasn't going to spend a bunch of money partying, but oh, just the thought of being out with her friends. I think I need this. What happened over the next weeks and then months became really tragic. Because all that progress she had made unraveled so fast that she ended up in a worse place. How many times have we seen that story play out? Someone starts a new chapter. Maybe they make a new January resolution. Maybe they decide they're going to make some kind of change in their life. And then in a weak moment, they have the drink. They ask for a smoke from a friend. They eat that thing they shouldn't have eaten. They make that unnecessary purchase. They react to someone that they told themselves they would never react to. Or maybe it was the opposite. The very thing they were trying to do, man, they they were on it. All of a sudden they just stopped doing it. And the guilt and the ugly feelings moved in, the shame, the disappointment. Everything was going so well. I had that streak going. And look at the change I had. And all they could do is just look back to what was. It's like it's gone. Before they knew it, one choice led to a three-day pattern, which led. To a week-long, and then that week pattern, binge, problem, time, stretches out and stretches out again. And it's like a dam burst, and one poor choice just led to like a domino effect. You know, if we're going to talk about willpower like we have been over the last few weeks, at some point we need to talk about what to do when things stop working or when we make the mistake. If you've been joining us over the last... Even all fall, we've been talking about living a life of meaning, finding a way to make sense, greater sense, living a life of significance. we have talking about the kinds of things that build that. And then we start saying, how can we wire that in? So we start talking about all that. And, and over this last little bit, we're talking about, okay, so there's, there's all these incremental changes that we can make that actually naturally lead us to a, a meaningful life. But then there comes that moment when we are really faced with having to do a hard thing. Really, sometimes they're really hard things. And so we're teeing this up, and we're going, pick your willpower challenge. What is it you want to do differently? What is it that you want to end up in January going, yeah, this December looked different than all the others? We asked you to pick that, but let me tell you something. There is a great chance that as you pick that willpower challenge, you're going to wake up one morning going, say yes to that. It's coming. It's coming. Don't be fooled. We start these things and that moment will come when you do it. But what could we do that would keep that thing from ballooning? That's my subject matter this morning. What could keep it from becoming a month, a year, five years down the road, looking back going, fuck, I had it right there and it's gone. I want to talk about what could help. And I have to admit, intuitively, some of the advice that I want to give this morning does not come intuitively to me. In fact, I've been working on a different playbook most of my life to try to motivate me out of the bed. But science seems to say different things. Research, Common new research is saying different things. So I'm going to quote some different studies this morning, a number of them. Because I've got I to override some of my counterintuitive thinking, and perhaps there's some here this morning that are in the same place. What I'm going to tell you is going to run a counterintuitive to what you think you need to do and say in those moments following the failure. This thing oh, sorry, this thing that Megan had going on, that had her spiraling. Researchers had a real technical name for it the what the hell effect. I'm not making this up. I borrowed a lot of this stuff from The Willpower Instinct. It's a book that we've built a lot of the series on, fascinating book, built largely from a professor at Stanford. She actually ran a whole course on building willpower, one of Stanford's most popular courses ever. Anyways, she talked about this what the hell effect. It's this this cycle, the cycle of indulgence. And once you've indulged in whatever, or done, or stopped doing whatever it was, then there's guilt. And the guilt gets so bad that then it results in greater indulgence. Familiar with that pattern? I am. They noticed many dieters who did this. They would feel so bad about even just having a little piece of pizza, a little bit of cake that they promised themselves they wouldn't. And then they felt bad. What do they do to make themselves feel better? They go and eat more. They go, oh, what the hell? I've blown my diet anyways. Might as well enjoy it. So, what the hell effect? And one study, interesting. The, the researchers actually rigged a weight scale. They made it read. Whoever stepped on it made it read it five pounds heavier than you actually were. I know. Cruel. Cruel, hey? Oh, my gosh. So anyways, they rigged up the scale, and they brought these people in who were really trying to lose weight. <laughs> what was... Interesting is when these dieters got on, they looked at the scale. They were expecting to have lost a couple pounds. Instead, they'd gained three pounds. They're like, oh my gosh, what have I done? Rather than motivating them and kick them in the pants and saying, what are you doing? Come on, get going. And motivating them to, to start really digging into their diet. It didn't result in that at all. The what-the-hell effect kicked in. Instead of resolving to lose weight, they promptly turned to food to fix those feelings. That ugly feeling of, I am failing, or I just blew it. And dieters aren't the only ones susceptible to the what-the-hell effect. Smokers trying to quit. Alcoholics trying to, t- trying to stay sober. You, you pick your poison. Shoppers trying to stick to their budget. When there is a little bit of a break in the dam, it's like... It goes crazy. Pfft, throw in the towel. My streak's broke. Whatever the willpower challenge, the pattern is the same. Giving in makes us feel bad about ourselves, which then motivates us to do something that feels better. And the feel better thing, what's the cheapest fastest strategy for feeling better. Often, it's doing the very thing you're trying to stop or start doing. It's the opposite. We run to it. That's how eating a couple potato chips can end up draining the bag. How losing a 100 bucks at the casino can trigger a gambling binge. We say to ourselves, you know what, I've already broken it Budget sobriety, resolution, what the heck? I'm going to enjoy myself then. Have you ever done this? Have you ever felt that? Going, Pfft. oh well, I'm going to start next week, but for now I'm enjoying this. Pfft. It's common. You know, there's this dark story in the Bible, a guy who's really well acquainted with the what the hell effect the pain of personal failure. Vince brought him up, I think last week, King David. In a moment of passion and temptation, David sees Bathsheba, says, wow, I want her. And he uses his power to have her. He has an affair with her. And talk about a painful mistake. Word gets back. She says, David, I'm pregnant. David's king, man, this is not going to look good, especially the fact that this woman's husband was one of his own soldiers. You know, rather in that moment of just containing the mistake, just fessing up, confessing, coming right out and saying, you know what, I blew it. Everyone, I blew it. We might as well know what I've done. David goes, no, screw it. I don't, I don't want to lose her. I'm going to make a way. So what does he do? He has, his, has her husband killed in battle. I can have my cake and eat it too. We're going to make this problem go away. And I got to keep Bathsheba. He thinks he's gotten away with it, and then a guy shows up one day and knows everything that's gone on. In his own clever way, he's talking to David, and finally he leans over the table and says, David, it's up. I know what you did. And he knows what you did. That's kind of the way they tell the story. The big guy knows, and now there's real trouble. Well, again, this was their conception of how maybe God worked. God's like, you do something like this, you're gonna get it. So that guy delivers a message to David and says, that baby that Bathsheba is pregnant with, it's gonna die. Talk about a headache that just won't end. One foul mistake, one poor evening, and life is just unraveling in front of David's eyes. (sighs) What does he do? David just came unhinged. The Bible says that he went home. Locked the door. Stopped eating. Didn't talk to anyone. People are like, is he okay? Anyone talk to David? No, he's been locked away. They're freaking out. Freaking out. You know, it's funny how almost all of our dark seasons when we got just a bit lost on our way, and I'm betting if you're here right now, you can think back into a chapter of your life when you felt you got off the path. You made poor choices. Maybe you, it's, it started, though, with one choice. And after that choice, it's like you could have... Done something different, but you didn't. And then that led to another and led to another. (sighs) We can all look back and go, oh, I could have I could have contained that. Why didn't before we knew it, all momentum had been lost all traction, all the good things. It's like all of a sudden it just dried up and now momentum was running backward and spiraling. And then those ugly feelings of guilt and shame just start coming in and just taking the boots to us. Oh. We don't like those feelings of guilt and shame. I'm telling you, instinctually built into our own biology is resistance to those ugly feelings of guilt and shame. We'll do anything to chase those things away. According to the American Psychological Association, the APA, they said the most common strategies that we use to chase away these ugly feelings The strategies we use are to activate our dopamine in our brain. Dopamine is that natural drug that promises that we're going to feel good. Some of the greatest dopamine activities you can choose, eating, drinking, sex, shopping, porn, watching television, surfing the web, playing video games. These are some of our culturally best strategies for chasing away the guilt and the shame because it gets our dopamine firing and that dopamine says oh come on we're gonna make you feel good you know what's ironic though about this dopamine it's promising you're gonna feel good if you just eat this do this come over here spend that buy that you'll feel so much better what's interesting is the promise of relief from these activities rarely delivers the way that it promises. For example, 16% of people who reduce the ugly feelings by eating, after the fact, when they're pulled, only 16% can say they actually feel better after eating. That means over 80% of the people who turned to food to feel good in that moment when they were feeling terrible came away going, I feel worse. One study found people who turned to chocolate. Any chocolate lovers in the room? It's OK, I'm with you. Yeah. Oh. People who turn to chocolate to feel good. Interesting. They, they pulled all these people that love to turn to chocolate, and, and just to cheer them up, or you know, and then feeling a little bit blue, let's, let's just eat a little chocolate. They pulled all these people. You know what? The number one thing that resulted from that chocolate? Not happiness. Not good feelings. Guilt. Number one answer, people reported feeling after eating chocolate. So we turn to these behaviors thinking they're going to help, but often they only make us feel worse. This is really key, folks. Because many, are, many of us are on this, on this hamster wheel where we're chasing that thrill, not even realizing it keeps disappointing what's really interesting is willpower experts say it's not the first giving in. So when we talk about that moment when we did the stupid thing, we broke the pattern, we gave into temptation, they said actually that first giving in isn't really the thing that creates the big problem. It's not the fact that you ate whatever it was you weren't supposed to eat or stopped going to the gym or spending the money. It's not that at all. You know what the real dam- causes the real damage? Feelings of shame, guilt, loss of control, loss of hope that follow the first relapse. It's not the thing. It's how you feel after when it starts taking the boots to you. Which for me was quite counterintuitive because I've always been led to believe that When I mess up, I need to make myself feel really bad about what I did. And if I can just kind of take the boots to myself, I can snap out of it. By injecting a little shame and feeling remorseful for that thing, What? I might be able to prevent myself from doing that again. For some of you that maybe were raised in certain religious circles, this might be common. I know this was common in our family tradition. I remember being in church often and being reminded of the sinful creature that I was. We were asked again and again, we'd have a prayer time. People could confess their sins, even to themselves before God. Make it right. We're constantly recalling, what, what did I do wrong this week? Oh, Yeah. Oh, gee, I am a terrible guy. I almost forgot about that. Bring it up. My dad was raised in the same tradition. And if I think back over the years, I remember one time golfing with him. And uh, he made a bad shot. And he had been having a tough day. And uh, he got real angry. I was over on the other side of the fairway, but I could hear him. He was going, Jarvis, you idiot. What were you thinking? We got up to the green, and he was putting, made a poor putt. He grabbed that putter and was just like, and I was like, Dad, don't snap that putter. I'm like, if you're going to, just give it to me. I like that butter. <laughs> but I'm like, dad, 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 don't, don't, don't. So anyways, I'm trying to calm him down. We're, we get in the cart, and I'm just trying to lighten things up. He said, dad, do you think this helps? Like getting mad at yourself? It's interesting. He said, Jeff, I can't go easy on myself. If I go easy on myself, I'll just end up making the same mistake again and Again. I'm like, well, I don't know if that's working for you. <laughs> I didn't say that in that moment, but I'm seeing a little bit of flawed logic there. I'm like, I don't think it's helping the golf game. And technically, if that was the case, you should be paring every hole right now. But that was his belief. And it sounded so weird when I heard him say that. But I caught myself... If I'm really honest, I've caught myself many times. It wasn't all that long ago. I had a real long week, and I hadn't been sleeping very well. Just lots of stuff going on, and I had so much to do. You know how you just get so tired, and you're going, OK, got to get some sleep. So I'm going to get up real early tomorrow, and I'm going I'm to tackle this. We're going to get her all done. I went to bed that night and hardly slept again. Tossing and turning. My alarm goes off at an ungodly hour. And you know what I did. Snooze. Snooze. I, I'm not even, you know, it feels like for the first time I'm just sleeping now, you know? Anyways, by the time I, like, wait, what time is it? Oh, oh no, oh no. You know what comes out of my mouth? Jarvis, you idiot thinking. Come on, you got to snap out of it. I remember walking over to the bathroom, just, just livid with myself, going, do you realize how much trouble now you're in? How much more pressure you're under because you couldn't freaking get out of bed. It sounded so terrible when my dad was talking, but it just felt normal to me. This is what I got to do to snap up. Have you ever talked like that to yourself? You ever had that internal conversation? Just like, what were you thinking? My intention wasn't evil. My intention wasn't to make things worse for myself. In fact, I almost thought I was doing the right thing. That actually, by having this little pep talk, I could get things back on track that way. What's weird is research doesn't support that thinking. There's two researchers out of Duke University. They did this fascinating study looking at the evidence of sabotaging effects of guilt on self-control. They had seen all the research. They know that this guilt And shame that we heap on ourselves doesn't help our willpower, it weakens it terribly. They'd seen all that research. They they wondered, they thought, what if we could reverse it? What if we could actually make feel people feel good? Would that boost their willpower? So they ran this study. They brought in a bunch of people. People who were kind of weight conscious, body conscious. They said, This is a two-part study. So the first first part of the study, they brought them in, they said, here's a donut. Donuts seem to be a thing here over the last little bit. They said, we want you to eat this donut, and then we want you to have this big glass of water. You need to down it all within four minutes. You can imagine people who are kind of body conscious going, you're asking us to do what? But they chose the water to chase the donut because they said that would likely make their gut feel full and kind of tighten the waistline, which they thought would likely induce a little bit of guilt. They wanted them to feel guilty for having chosen the donut doing this thing. So they do this. They do it with all these people. Obviously not all at one time, but one at a time. And then they asked them how they felt, and they recorded how they were feeling. And then they said, okay, part two, come on over. They put three bowls, large bowls of candy in front of them, a little taste test. Tell us which ones you'd like, which order. They chose the candy to appeal to all kinds of different taste palettes, make sure that someone would like one more than the other. But before they allowed these people to do it, half of them, they, they just had a little chat with them. And they just said something like this, don't be too hard on yourself. Everyone indulges every now and then. It was a simple statement like that, that they gave to half the group. What were they trying to do? Ease their guilt, relax. Everyone indulges sometimes anyways where were we let's do the candy so they run half the group with that statement through and then the next group they come in they don't they don't say anything to them they go right from the donut and the water how'd you feel all right now tell us what candy you like the most blah 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 they measured the weight of the candy after all the group had done it those that had, who had been given this guilt-reducing statement go easy on yourself That group had eaten, you know, let me turn it around. The group that didn't have them telling them, relax, go easy. The people who were likely riding higher levels of guilt ate three times more candy than those who were told, go easy on yourself. Counterintuitive. Study after study has shown that self-criticism is consistently associated with less motivation and worse self-control. Let me repeat that. Study after study has shown that self-criticism is consistently associated with less motivation and worse self-control. In fact, one of the greatest indicators of depression which drains both your I will power and I won't power is associated with self-critical behavior. In contrast, self-compassion, being supportive and kind to yourself in the face of willpower failure actually is associated with more motivation and more self-control, self-compassion, forgiveness for ourselves. Surprisingly, it's forgiveness, not guilt, that increases personal accountability. That is as counterintuitive to me as it gets. This lady who wrote this book, she said She's teaching at Stanford. She comes out with this. She said it would always be an uproar every time she'd bring this out. She'd say, self-compassion. You've got to go easy on yourself if you want more self-control. They would freak out. They're going, no, that can't be right. If I go easy on myself, I will. She says, you might surprise yourself. You know, it's interesting how that King David story ends. On the seventh day of him being holed up not eating, he's a mess, not talking to anyone. His baby dies. And all his workers, his servants are freaking out. They're going, oh my God. We tried to talk to David while his baby was alive and he wouldn't even listen to us. He wouldn't, he, he wouldn't, he, he, he wouldn't have anything to do with us. The guy was a mess. Now, if we tell him his baby is dead, he may do something really awful. Now, you read between the lines there what they're worried about. They are so nervous. It says, it says he heard them whispering and he figured it out. He went over to some of his workers and he said, Is the baby dead? It says, David got up from the floor, and he had a shower. Perhaps he shaved, he put on some lotion, changed his clothes. Then he went into church, and he worshiped, it says. He played music, and he just allowed himself to calm himself, just like we would do here. After that, it says he went home, and he asked for some good food. Servants served him up some good food. In fact, if you read later, I think he even went and called on his wife and had a good time. Like, the guy was back on track. And this was confusing. (laughs) His servants are going, wait, what's going on here, David? Why are you doing this? When the baby was alive, you were a mess. Now that the baby is dead, you get up and you eat food. You go on. It's like David was able to just accept the consequences. He says, look at the baby's gone. Why should I be doing those things? I can't bring him back to life. Someday I'm going to go to him. He can't come back to me. It's like he just kind of said, I can't change what's happened. He accepted it. And rather than compounding the problems, he decided, it stops here. When you're able to forgive yourself, when you're able to let go of whatever it was that you stopped doing or started doing, whatever pattern you got into, when you're able to say, Travis, you're okay. It's all right. It's amazing how the guilt and the shame disappear. And all of a sudden, one's ability to just get up and go, all of a sudden, (laughs) comes out of nowhere. There's an exercise in the book, the willpower instinct. And I have to say, this was a very interesting exercise for me. Three parts of it. First part to deal with a failure. maybe right now you can just think, just for your own benefit, you could think of a time or something that you've battled, where the guilt and the shame has taken a done a number to you. Or maybe you've slipped up. Maybe it's some pattern, some, something you struggle with, behavior, mindset. I, I, could be anything. You know. You know what your thing is. Let me just lead you through this. If you were to think back in that moment, when that happened, whatever that thing is, first step of this exercise, just to notice how you're feeling because of that failure. What'd you do? how do you feel? Think about the moments after, when everything went sideways. What emotions are present inside of you? Maybe right now you're going, oh, I don't have, maybe, maybe, maybe your moment is coming in a couple weeks. And you're going to be left staring at something you wish you hadn't done or said or spent or whatever. The first part of this exercise is just to sit in those ugly feelings. Don't run from them for a second. Don't try to medicate yourself. Numb yourself from them. No, feel them. Even if there is a voice of self-criticism that's coming up, Jarvis, you you know, just notice what that voice is, what it's saying, just notice it. Second part, after you feel it, after you sit with those ugly feelings, after you notice what's going on inside you, what's your body feeling, what's it, what is the voice saying, then they ask you to consider the truth of this statement, you're only human. Just, just. Just play with that for a second. You're only human. In fact, part of this part of the exercise challenges you to think of other people who you know who may have struggled in the exact same way, doing these same kinds of things. Think of someone in your life who you know has been there, has done it. Someone you love. Go, man, I'm not the only one that's done this before. Think about the people in your life who've been there, who've struggled with their weight, struggled with fights, breaking out in the family, saying the wrong thing. Whatever your thing is, think about someone who's done that. Just recognize for a second, hey, pal, it's okay. You're human. Other people do this too. Cut yourself some slack. That's part two of this. The third part really got me. And that was to consider what you would say to a friend. If you were a friend coming alongside yourself who's struggling with this breakdown in their willpower, they've done something that they regret, what would you say or do to that person to come alongside and help them? What advice would you give? How would you sound They said, you could also flip that around and think about someone who loves you so much, who has been someone that has always had your back, who's been in your corner. It could be a family member, it could be a friend, it could be an uncle, it could be an, an employer who just always had your back. What would they say to you in this moment? Just sit with their advice. This is the powerful thing about the words of Jesus. Because that guy was the ultimate champion for people who had blown it, wasn't he? Like he was the guy that was always just showing up and going, hey, 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 go easy. Woman caught in adultery, everyone's ready to just take the boots her, and he says, ah, come here, come here. Starts talking to everyone looks at her loving eyes. You're okay. You know, what I've noticed is how different it sounds when I put someone else's voice to my stuff than my own voice. Or when I imagine it's my kid and I'm wanting to help him through a mistake that he's made, that I've made how different my voice sounds how much compassion and how much forgiveness I got, I'm like come on pal you think you're the only one that's done that man I've done that a million times come on, come on, let's go we're alright get up, it stops here Come on, today's a new day. I, I would go on and on. This, this uh, exercise says that's what you gotta do. Be the voice of someone else to you. Start there. I don't know what your willpower challenge is. I'm hoping that over this last little while you've picked up one. And maybe you're coming into this coming season. Stick to it Christmas, it's called. Why? Because we want to do it differently and you got your challenge coming up perhaps, you haven't hit it yet, or maybe you're right in the middle of it, or maybe it came and already you're on the ropes. I'm going to tell you right now, back off the self-criticism. Back off the harsh tones. Cut yourself some slack. Be the voice of that loving friend. Perhaps it's your mom or your dad. Maybe it was your, your older brother who just always had a good way of cheering you up. Be that voice. You might be surprised how quickly this thing stops and gets turned back around. It's my prayer for you. It's my prayer for me. We're going to have a merry stick-to-it Christmas, not stick-it-to Christmas, all right? That's what we're not going to do. All right, that's all I got. Have a great week, everyone. We're going to be back here next week. Again, continuing on in this series. We're almost done, actually. We're getting close. So you won't want to miss it. Oh, yeah, discussion group right after in the library. Don't miss out. Um, If you want to talk about this, talk about stuff you've experienced, whatever. We got to just, it's a great safe space in the library right after the service here to be able to talk through your own stuff and learn from the journeys of others too. All right, that's all we got. Thanks for coming this morning. See you next week.